Sunday nights, we've been looking at the stories that Jesus told, the parables that Jesus told. We started off and we looked at the wise and foolish builders, you know, the one that built the house on the rock and the one that built the house on the sand. We looked at the parable of the sower. And those two were pretty self-explanatory. It didn't take a whole lot to figure out what they meant. And then we did the parable of the wheat and the tares or the wheat and the weeds. That one was a little more difficult. Try to figure out exactly what Jesus was saying. And then the last time we did the uh, parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. And we saw that there were a couple different ways even to interpret that one. But tonight's parable is what I would say an easy one to understand, but a difficult one to accept for us. In Matthew chapter 20, Beginning in verse 1, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one's hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last only worked one hour, they said, And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered to them, answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am so generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now admit it. How many of us sympathize with the original workers? I sympathize with the original workers. I understand their complaint. I see where they are coming from. They're working on a 12-hour clock. So about 6 in the morning, the owner goes out. He finds these workers and he says, you go work in the field and I will pay you a denarius. And they agree to that, a contract essentially. And so they go out. Well, about 9 o'clock in the morning, he goes out and finds some more. But interesting, this time he says, you go work. And I'll pay you what is fair. Trusting, I suppose. They went out and worked. And he did the same thing about noon. 
And he did the same thing about three o'clock in the afternoon. Then at five o'clock in the evening, he finds some still standing around. He says, don't you want to work? Yeah, we want to work. We've been here all day. Ain't nobody hired us. He says, well, I'll tell you what. You go on into the field and you work too. They barely get to working, right? And the whistle blows. The day's over. And I don't think it's by accident. I know it's not by accident because Jesus is telling the parable. But I don't think it's by accident that the landowner tells the foreman, you pay the last ones first. And work your way down to the first ones. And so the ones who had only worked one hour. Come to get their money. And they're paid a denarius. Now research and those people who know these kinds of things, not me, but say that a denarius was essentially about a day's pay. That was, you know, what we might call a, a minimum wage or whatever. That, that was about a day's pay. A denarius was the standard, essentially. And here they'd only worked one hour and they got a full denarius. Now, if you're the original workers, what are you thinking? You're thinking what I'm thinking. Whoo, doggy. <laughs> I'm going to get 12 denarii. Because apparently the dude is paying a denarii an hour, right? These people only worked an hour. They got a Daenerys. And I'm getting the plural and the singular confused here. But anyway, you're with me. They worked only one hour and they got a Daenerys. So if I work 12 hours, I'm going to get 12 denarii. That just seems logical, doesn't it? I've never thought about this before. But I wonder if the ninth hour workers were thinking the same thing. Wow, they only worked one hour and they got a denarius. I worked three, I'm going to get three denarii. And the six hour worker, they're thinking the same thing. I'm going to get six. And the third hour workers, they're thinking the same thing. I'm going to get nine. Now, it's interesting that we do not have included in the story, Jesus did not include in the parable the paying of the middle workers. But apparently the ninth hour workers got paid, the sixth hour workers got paid, the three hour workers got paid. They all got paid a denarius. Now I wonder at what point the original workers are going, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, what's going on here? Well, this doesn't seem quite right. I wonder if they kind of saw it coming as the ninth hour, sixth hour, and third hour workers were being paid. But anyway, it comes down to those who had worked 12 hours in the hot sun all day long, and they get paid a denarius. And they begin to grumble. And they begin to complain. And they begin to say, that's not fair. Now, if you're like me, if it hadn't been Jesus telling this parable, I'd agree with them. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. But in my head, I know Jesus told this parable and he told it for a reason and I know the conclusion of the parable, so I know what I'm supposed to think. 
It's just kind of hard for me in our cut and dried kind of world, at least my kind of world, it's hard for me to come to grips with that being right. Remember what Jesus told the other workers besides the original ones. He said, you go work in the field and I will pay you what is fair. I wonder what the 11th hour workers thought when Jesus paid them a full denarius for working one hour. My guess is they're thinking, wow, (laughs) that's really not fair, but I'm going to take it anyway. You know, I'm not giving it back. He's paying us a whole denarius, but that's really not exact. Do you think that they would have settled for a twelfth of a denarius. I don't know what a twelfth of a denarius is. But I would assume they would have been satisfied with that. If a denarius is essentially a day's wages and they only worked one hour, then a twelfth of a denarius would have been fine with them. They'd have accepted it. The ninth hour workers would have accepted a third of a denarius. Or, and I'm not going to get any further in the math because I've probably already overdone it. Okay, But you know, on down. And yet, Jesus or the master paid them a full denarius. This parable and its understanding are hindered a little bit by our superficial man-made chapter breaks. You see, if you're just flipping around the Bible and you want to read the parable of the workers in the vineyard, Well, there's the chapter heading right there at the beginning of chapter 20. And so you read the parable of the workers in the vineyard. No, 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 no. To really understand this parable, you got to back up. You got to back up into chapter 19 to understand what brought about this parable. This parable, like many of Jesus' parable, was in response to a situation. It was a teaching tool because of something that had happened. Now in chapter 19 and beginning in verse 16, we have a story that we're familiar with. But we don't normally put these two things together, but they are together. It's mandatory. Then we put the story of the rich young ruler and the parable of the worker in the vineyard together. Now a man came to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor yourself. All these I have kept, the young man asked, what still do I lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then, the, or then Jesus said to the disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And Peter answered him, 
We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Now, you kind of see, this is another Peter moment. We don't normally, you know, we, we talk about the Peter moments. This is not one we normally talk about. But this is another Peter moment. The rich young man came and said, what do I need to do? And Jesus said, sell your possessions, give it to the poor and come and follow me. And then Jesus said, you know, it's going to be really hard for rich people to get in. Not impossible, but it's going to be hard for rich people to get into the kingdom. And the disciples were like, whoa, we thought the rich people had it all. We thought the rich people had an edge. We thought the rich people kind of had an end to eternal life. If rich people can't be saved, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, well, with man, it's impossible. With man, can't nobody be saved. Pardon the double negative. But with God, all things are possible. And I think this is another moment in Peter's life, kind of like you remember when he said to Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Thinking that was pretty big. He had just told the rich young man what? Sell everything you have and come and follow me. And Peter says, Jesus, we've done that. We've given up everything to come and follow you. What are you going to give us? What's our prize? What's our reward for coming and following you? And then Jesus responds in this way in verse 28. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sister or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. Hmm. Hmm. Jesus says, now, Peter, when it's all said and done, y'all are going to sit on 12 thrones. You're going to have a place of honor. And over in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, we have the 24 elders sitting on the throne. I believe that 12 of those represents the apostles. 12 of those represents the tribes of Israel. That's just my opinion. But what he tells Peter is those other people who come and follow me, they're going to get a hundred times more. A hundred times more than what? A hundred times more than what they had given up? Or a hundred times more than Peter and the other apostles? Well, in light of the parable that Jesus goes on to say, it appears to me, and you get what you pay for, it appears to me as if Jesus is saying, these other people are going to get a hundred times more than you. And I don't think he was making that a blanket statement. I think he was trying with the parable that we see. I think he was trying to get Peter to understand That it's not about making a contract with God. 
If you want to make a contract with God, God will give you exactly what you contract for. But you're better off leaving it up to God. You're better leaving it off up to His judgment, His mercy, His grace, His generosity. And so then he goes on to tell the parable that we just read. So this evening, I want us to learn some lessons, a few lessons from these parables. The first one is, or this parable, God gives us what he promises. The owner promised the original workers a denarius. He promised the others what was fair. Now, we'll get into what's fair here in a minute. At the time, I want you to think about this. At the time the original contract was made, you work all day, I'm going to give you a denarius. How do you think the original workers felt? Satisfied. Joyful, perhaps. Remember, they were just out there, you know, waiting for somebody to come along. I'm sure there's a place in Mount Pleasant. I don't know where it is. I'm sure there's a place in Longview. I don't know where it is. But I do know where at least one of the places is in Tyler. Where the day workers hand out, or hang out. Because it's on the road right to the hospital. And so a lot of times I'll be going to the hospital in Tyler early in the morning. And at those gas stations right along the way, there'll be all these workers, these day workers, waiting to be picked up. Now, I don't know how that works. Some of you may have hired some. Some of you may have been one. I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't know if somebody pulls up and they negotiate, you know, I've got this job. You come and work for me and I'll pay you this amount. Or just hop in the back of the truck and we'll get there and we'll figure it out when we get there. I don't know. But that's kind of what was going on here in the marketplace. And the owner of the land comes and he says, I will pay you a denarius. And my guess is they were overjoyed. I get to work today. I get to buy milk and bread and bring home to mama. You know, I get to, it's it's a good day because I'm going to earn a denarius. And in the end, he gave them exactly what what he promised. God always fulfills his promise. Remember that these were not employees. These were not employees. That already had a relationship and a contract with the owner. These are those he had picked up on the side of the road and contracted for for the day. In the end, God gave them what he promised. God promises a rock solid. And we can be sure that he will give to us what he has promised us and well. We can bank on it. Secondly, God's generosity is great. Even to the 11th hour workers, God gave, or the owner, God, gave the denarius. God is always seeking those who would come to him. Perhaps, and some, this is where, you know, I've told you too much reading, you know, and get into you. Well, who do the 11th hour workers represent? Okay. And I think in some sense we can look at it and just theoretically would say, well, the 11th hour workers are those who, who come to Christ late in life. There's those who have served God their whole lives and then there's those who come to Christ late in life and they represent the 11th hour workers. And it doesn't seem fair that those who come to Christ late in life get the same as those who've been following God their whole lives. That doesn't seem fair. 
Other interpretation is that the 11th hour workers are the Gentiles. That it's the Jews who've been following God their whole lives. It's the Jews that have been under contract with God for centuries. And now here in a little bit, you know, these 11th hour workers are going to come in. Well, I'm not a hundred. I don't know for sure. I think there's multiple interpretations. All of them can be right. But what it does say is, is that God cares about the 11th hour workers as much as he does the original workers or the third hour, or the sixth hour or the ninth hour workers. God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to eternal life. That, that scripture in Peter, I think, shows God's patience. He is waiting and waiting and waiting. He is waiting on the 11th hour workers to come to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It reminds me a little bit of the parable of the great banquet. Remember that? The parable of the great banquet where the three started making excuses who'd been invited. You know, one got married, one had some cows or oxen or something. And one had a piece of land he had to go see. And so the owner gets mad. He says, go into the city. Go into the streets and the alleys and you get the lame, the blind, the whatever. And you bring them into the dinner. And they did that and the servant said, you know what? There's still plenty of room and plenty of food. And the master says, well, then go out to the countryside. Get all the hillbillies and the bumpkins out there. And you bring them in too. Whoever you can find. And that's what God is trying to do for us. He's waiting, he's waiting. His generosity is great beyond our, what we can believe. Third point, it's never too late. The 11th hour, that seems too late. But it's never too late. Age-wise, it's never too late. Sin-wise, it's never too late. Now, I've not dealt with many who have felt like they're too old. I'm sure there's people out there who may have had that feeling. Well, I'm just too old. God won't accept me now. I never really dealt with But what I have dealt with is I've done too much. I am too bad. I have lived such a lifestyle. I have lived so far away from God that there is no way God would accept me in. Oh, yes, he will. Yes, he will. I don't think the 11th hour is just a time thing. I think it's an experience thing as well. No matter who you are or what you've done, God welcomes you with open arms if you just come to him. He's welcoming and ready for us. Now, this fourth point, I think, is important. God isn't fair. And I got two words for that. Thank God. Thank God that he's not fair. Because if God was fair, we'd be hopeless. We'd be helpless. For the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory 
of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. But you were dead in your sins and your transgressions. You were objects of God's wrath. We stood to be condemned. That's what is fair. That's what's right. That's what's just. God's mercy and God's grace isn't fair. So I'm glad that God isn't fair. I'm glad that there is a sense in which he is unfair. God gave his son to pardon all of us. So who am I to say you don't deserve it? We've talked about this a lot because it's my experience. Those of us raised in the church, raised in Christian families, never did any of the really bad stuff. You know what I mean? I went to preaching school. I spent 31 years as a minister. And you're going to tell me that somebody out there who has lived a wild, evil, wicked life of sin, not caring anything about God or anything about God's word, and they turn to God, and they're going to get the same thing I'm going to get? That ain't fair. But you know what? It's not fair that I got it. Now, you may think that there's levels of unfairness. There's not with God. We were all lost. We were all condemned. And so just because I may have sort of been a little better, still not good enough. I still need God to be unfair in order to save me. And if he's going to be unfair to me, then why should I gripe or complain because he's going to be unfair to you? I ought to be happy about that. And in fact, that brings us to the fifth point, which is we better watch our attitudes. Jesus, or the master, said... Are you envious at my generosity? What should have been a time of joy. Who doesn't like payday? Don't we all like payday? Payday's a good day. I remember when I worked for the electric company, man, uh, you know, we only got paid once a month. Woo! That was a, that was a, you know, some of you teachers, you know, some of you, I wasn't used to that. I was used to a weekly paycheck once a month. Man, I was glad when it was payday. Went out and splurged. Got me a double quarter pounder. (laughs) I was splurging. (laughs) The original workers, it should have been a time of joy. It should have been a time of celebration. It should have been a time of thankfulness. 
that they'd gotten a job for the day and that the master had been righteous and just and fulfilled his promise and gave them what he promised them. But instead, they were so wrapped up in what they perceived to be a slight and an unfair situation that they couldn't even enjoy what they had. It reminds me of another story. Another parable that we'll get to eventually. The parable of the prodigal son. When we get there, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about the prodigal son, the prodigal son, the prodigal son, and the father, and the father, and the father. The story is not about either one of them. The story is about the elder brother. That's what the story is about. That's the point of the story. Now, all these other points are true and good. There's the older brother. He's out there. He hears what's going on. It sounds like they're having a fiesta. Cinco de Mayo is happening up at the house. He doesn't know what's going on. He asks one of the servants, what's happening? He can smell. Woo. They're barbecuing. And the servant says, your brother's back. Your brother that was lost. Your brother that was gone. He's back and your daddy's having a party. Woo. I'm so thankful. I can't wait to get to the party. Hmm. I ain't going. I can't believe daddy'd do that. Daddy comes out and says, what's, what's wrong? Why don't you come in and celebrate? It's a time to celebrate. Uh-uh, you never, made me, you never gave me a party. You never killed the fatted calf for me. Son, everything I have is yours. It's all yours. You want a fatted calf? Have a fatted calf. You want a party? I'll give you a party. But now is not the time to, to be envious of your brother. Now's the time of celebration. It's time to have a party. And Jesus essentially is telling us that we can't ever have an attitude where we are somehow distraught over God's generosity. Isn't that the story of Jonah? I love, I love the story of Jonah. Jonah, go preach to the Ninevites. Nope, not going to do it. I hate the Ninevites. I'm going to get on a boat. I'm going to go as far away from Nineveh as I can. If you've ever looked at a map, and I'm going to probably get this backward from the way y'all are looking, but... Okay. Nineveh's over here. Jerusalem, whatever, wherever Jonah's from, Israel's here. He gets on a boat to go to Tarshish. Over there. As far away from Nineveh as possible. And we know the whole three days, three nights, and the big fish and all of that. Comes up on the ground. He goes out. And he goes and he preaches to Nineveh. And the whole city repents. The king even makes a decree. And I love this. We are going to repent We are all going to wear sackcloth to show our repentance. And we are even going to make our animals, right? We're even going to make our animals wear sackcloth. Now, how would you like to be the person that had to put the sackcloth on the bull? I don't know. Jonah goes up on the hill and pouts. Now, what preacher? What preacher would not be ecstatic and overjoyed? Because it says that Jonah hadn't even hardly gotten into the city 
with his message. When the entire city, it came to the king and the entire city repented. I would just like one time sing the invitation song. Have 100% respond. No, don't. That would freak me out. (laughs) But that would be, you know, that would be amazing. I don't know if they had to sing a thousand verses of just as I am, you know, to get the whole city to repent. I don't know what. But Jonah is angry. He's mad. And God says, what are you mad about? Because I knew this would happen. I knew that if they repented, your goodness and your grace and your generosity, you'd spare them. And they don't deserve it. I'm putting words in Jonah's mouth, but not really. It ain't fair, God. These are wicked, heathen people. We're the Jews. We're the Israelites. How dare you forgive them? But God hadn't been fair to Israel either. He said, what makes you think I picked you because you were worthy of being picked as a nation? You were a scrawny little thing out there in the world. And I chose you to be mine. Not because of anything you did, but because I wanted to. Now, that didn't seem fair. But that's what God did. And that's what God does for us. And we should never be ungrateful because of what God does for somebody else. Real quickly, one other story. Peter, bless Peter's heart. I guess at some point he got it. But it's the very end. Jesus has died He's risen from the dead. He's getting ready to ascend into heaven. And you remember in the last chapter of John, they go out fishing, the disciples do. They come back and Jesus is on the beach. He's cooked a breakfast. And so they all come in. Peter, you know, actually jumps out of the boat and swims, you know, gets there. And this is the whole, Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know, I love you. Feed my sheep. You know, they do that three times. And then Jesus says, Peter, you're going to suffer a terrible death. You're going to be bound and taken to places you don't want to be taken. Horrible things are going to happen to you. But come and follow me. And what does Peter do? He looks around and out of the corner of his eye, he sees John. He says, but Lord, what about him? You're telling me all these terrible things are going to happen to me? What about him? And Jesus said, if I want him to live forever, what business is it of yours? And that's pretty much a direct quote, by the way. (laughs) I didn't make that up. Peter, I'm going to give you everything I promised. Don't worry about what's going to happen to John. God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son. Was that fair? Was not fair. So we can complain and we can gripe all we want to about in situations and things like that. God not being fair, but in our depths of our souls, we ought to be saying to ourselves, thank God that he's not fair. If you're here this evening, in some way we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.